welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. And welcome back to On the Table Gaming for episode 23. I'm Chase. I'm Josh. And uh, today we're going <laughs> to... I want to spice it up, Chase. I just always try and trick you there. <laughs> and uh, yes, I'm Chase and this is Josh. And uh, we're doing... Today we're talking about the newly released FAQ version 1.3, the errata as well, and nice. some of the new cool game modes coming out. And then finally, after months, since the game's inception, essentially, we finally get to talk about the Free Folk units in detail. And we're going to split it over two episodes. This episode, talking about the different units and attachments. And then our following episode, looking at Free Folk commanders and their tactics cards and giving you some sample lists. So stay tuned for these next two ones. They're going to be awesome. And uh, with that being said, Josh, I think it's time for us to, well, you know what time it is. Go to the rookery. Let's go to the rookery. Okay. <laughs> and uh, are we already up here? We, we're... We're looking out on the parapet right here. So, yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, okay. Let's, so then we're going to go down to the rookery area then, and uh, let's see what we got. Oh, my gosh. Look, it's a, a small Lannister child. <laughs> <laughs> and his Kingsguard. Oh, man. Absolutely. Yeah, so the Kingsguard unit got spoiled. So uh, we got the Lannister Heroes 2 box, which is a two-for-one, Chase. You get a, a full box of hero units and... You got a full unit that you could field all together. All right. Is the only Lannister hero in the Lannister Heroes box Jamie? Because I, I see a Baratheon and a bunch of other dudes. Oh, in here. man. What's well, going on? I don't know if you heard this about, you know, Joffrey's lineage, but it's uh, it's dubious at best. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for those of you who aren't up to, to exactly. speed. So it's really cool, though. I mean, so basically, it's uh, you know, it's it's a whole box of eight different NCUs, including Joffrey, who can act as the commander or uh, uh, as a NCU. Uh, so either a combat attachment or the NCU itself. Uh, if you take him as a combat unit, he is fielded with the King's Guard as a as a full unit of eight guys. Man, this looks really cool, though. I mean, this is the first unit I think we've seen that has like a non-standard unit number, like. Instead yeah. of the full 12, it's eight. Exactly. So I read this a couple of times. So I was like, well, what do you do? Do they have a special tray? And then uh, some eagle-eyed uh, readers noticed that they have the, uh, the four flags across the back line of their, uh, of their unit. So they actually will fill up a standard infantry tray. But apparently, we don't know what they do yet, but uh, they have four royal flag miniatures that are unique to the unit. And then when you remove them, it's like a one-time use ability uh and then each of the banner triggers the ability only once uh and then something happens so it could be giving them a free maneuver retreat or uh it looks like they said crippling a foe before a swing is made so who knows could be something really interesting for those four i don't know if it's like you know you have an option of four different things or you have to choose each thing one time but uh, i hope we'll we'll find out pretty soon here but regardless this is gonna be a pretty ba unit then a hundred percent. Yeah. So we don't know the points cost yet, but uh, we do we do see the stat line, which is helpful. So uh, you want to read through that? Yeah. So it looks like a movement of five, which, you know, in the Lannister army is is pretty typical, uh, but they've got their masterwork blade. And so it hits on a two plus on eight dice and even better. Once they start to take some damage, they lose a rank. They still hit on an eight plus. So really unaffected. So these guys are going to be doing consistent damage throughout the entire game. 
Yeah, exactly. So no matter how much, you know, how many guys they've lost, they're always fighting at full effectiveness. And I think that's something not to underestimate. Like, I think attrition is something that's often overlooked when people talk about units in this game. And to have a unit that can just consistently do the same damage, regardless if it's on one model or at full health, is is pretty impressive. And not to mention, 100%. these guys have three-plus armor. And a four-plus morale. So these guys, you know, you really only have one way to, to deal with them, and that's through just raw combat damage. Uh, you know, three-plus isn't you know, going to be impenetrable, but that's a really good armor save. And combined with some Lannister Tactics cards, uh, you know, these guys are going to be pretty survivable. Uh, yeah, of course, be, be, it's feasible for them to be on like a, a two plus save. Yeah, exactly. A two plus save. I mean, they can get rear charge. And if you play, um, was it Wealth of the Rock? You mm-hmm. know, you're still rolling a four plus. So that's, you know, they're, they're pretty good. They also have uh, the order to counterattack. So when the unit is attacked with melee after attack dice are rolled, for each blocked hit, the attacker suffers one hit. Um, so this is a great way to, I, th- I think it's, it mirrors that same ability the, um, uh, that Night's Watch unit has, right? The Veteran yeah, the to the veteran. Watch. Uh, which is, I, I found, extremely powerful. You know, if you uh, are attacked by a big unit, you know, that's throwing a lot of damage at you, a lot of dice, as long as you roll your saves, uh, you know, you can potentially reflect back as much or more damage than you're going to end up taking, which is pretty awesome. At least with the the Night's Watch veterans of the Watch, they they hit on an eight plus on on a, a, sorry eight dice eight on plus. a three plus. <laughs> be, they hit with eight dice on that's a three tough. plus. That's challenging on a six plus. Six sided die. But it, it it as you start to kill them off, like at least it drops down to six in the end. So like you're crippling that unit. It's an eight point unit. Um, but man, these guys are just going to be pumping out the damage. Um, well, the only thing that mentioned though is, is uh, they only have eight wounds and they cannot be uh, revived. Um, so that'll be interesting. So, you know, you literally only have the eight guys to lose and then once they're gone, that's it. So, I mean, because they're all individual people, right? Like that's not like representat- representing like a unit of guys which may run away and come back. This is eight actual individual guys who, uh, you know, once they're dead, they're dead. And they are fearless as well, right? So they're immune to panic tests. So that's going to be powerful. I think it's <laughs> that they're immune to like penalties to the oh, morale and oh, can't maybe become panicked. I think that's maybe that's what it was. Um, you can't see the whole panic. thing because it's covered up by the card very strategically in, in the article. But uh, I think it's something like that. Like they can't become panicked or suffer penalties to morale. Some some along those lines. So these guys, I mean. I'm liking this. I mean, so you are taking then uh, Joffrey as your commander. So there's a you know some thematic choice you have to make there. Do you really want this little guy in your army to get this awesome unit? Um, but so say I say I really I'm not a fan of Joffrey. Can I still take the Kingsguard as individuals? Absolutely can. Yeah. So it's you know in that box you're getting eight individual guys and they all have their effects. Uh, so we don't know what Joffrey the commander does yet, but we do know what the NCU does. And what does he do? <laughs> I'm trying to read, to read the card. All right, well, look at this. <laughs> it's, All right, it's, so he has uh, Might of the might Iron of... Throne. Uh, okay, oh, Throne. It says Might of the Iron th- Then it's cut off here. So what, <laughs> what? I'm assuming Throne, but maybe maybe it says something else. Maybe it says, you know, Theon. Maybe it says... Uh. I think, I think it's thrown. It's got to be. Okay, okay fair enough. Uh, all right. So this is, while Joffrey is on the tactics board, you count as controlling the crown zone. Uh, so just period, you you will always be able to trigger all of those, uh, you know, nasty Lannister abilities as long as he's out there. However, uh, when Joffrey claims a zone on the tactics board, after that effect has been resolved, your opponent may have one of your combat units become panicked. So he's... So that's where that fearless comes into play. Uh-huh. 
exactly well so but your opponent gets to choose which of them becomes panicked so because this is the ncu version so you know oh right 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 yeah so this would only exist in a in a army that would not be featuring the full king's guard unit now we do see the flip side of this and he is a four point ncu so i don't know what like what do you think is that is that worth it i mean is, i mean you always get the crown space no matter what if he's on the board so i'm thinking well first off that's amazing with the tactics cards like you can you can trigger some great things off of that just by having that zone but i i feel like maybe this ncu is actually a lot more expensive than four points uh, because he has a negative effect that he's going to be allowing your opponent to put on your units it may be one of those ncus that if you take him you also have to take certain other attachments or upgrades and that's where i'm wondering is it like you take him as your ncu and then you have to take some of these king's guard or you know like the high sparrow or elements that are going to boost morale so that you know the the panic negative effect will be offset It'd be interesting i mean i i could see him being a good fit maybe as the as an ncu with uh maybe the high sparrow as your commander you know yeah. to use those morale boost to you know potentially offset the panic effect or, you know, if you have a whole army full of, you know, guardsmen and you're really not worried about panic because you have guard captains in all of right. your units, um, you know, then you're like, okay, that's fine. You know, that's not that much of a tax on my abilities. So and, um, that'd be interesting. And thematically, it makes it kind of cool, like even being like a ruthless NCU where you've got guard captains killing off your own troops so that they don't get panicked by his effects. Mm -hmm. But at the yeah. same time, maybe you, you put someone like Barristan Salmian to it's help counteract that. Yeah. Absolutely. So we have we do have the attachment version of him. Uh, so he has duty to the crown. While you control the crown space, each time this unit passes a morale test, it may restore up to D3 wounds, which seems to synergize well with uh, uh, Joffrey. And then he has stalwart. This unit gains plus two to morale test rolls. I mean, so now that's a four-point investment that I'm going, gee, yeah, four points plus however much this guy costs, Barristan. <laughs> yeah. That seems worth it. I mean, if it's not too expensive, if he's a two-point upgrade, like I, I would throw him in some units. And he, I mean, what would be the what would benefit the most from getting D three wounds back? Heck, I might. Well, let's see. Pyromancers are going to die pretty fast, so that might not make a big deal. Hmm. I mean, maybe I, I think you know when when are Halberdiers going to have their day? Maybe you throw them in there. I don't think they'll ever have their day, Chase. No. <laughs> you don't care. No, <laughs> no, no I, I love the Halberdiers. I think the Halberdiers are great. I think. Um, I still think they're best with the assault veteran. I, I think yeah. I like this guy. Honestly, I kind of like this guy in a unit of guardsmen. I know the guard captain is sort of like the go-to, but this guy makes it so that you know you have your bonuses to your morale, which is nice. Uh, and then every time you pass the you know morale test with the crown space, you're restoring guys. That's going to make a basically unkillable, super annoying unit of guardsmen, which will very likely be able to trigger. Uh, Lannister supremacy. So every the, single time. the morale is generally a seven plus. So plus two on seven. That you know that's you know, that's pretty good actually. You could you could beat that role pretty often. I think so. I, I I think it'd be interesting in them. I think it'd be interesting in Mountains men who you know their morale is also not super great and they you know they I think they struggle a little bit with survivability. Uh, so maybe he'd be interesting there. Um, I don't know. Maybe he'd but, also fit in with the um, uh, that new unit that that got spoiled. The faith the... militant. Yeah, oh, no, the... maybe. Yeah, I forgot what they called them. <laughs> oh, do you mean? Oh, yeah. So it could have been the uh, the warrior sons, warrior sons, or the poor fellows. Although I'm guessing the poor fellows might not have the best morale, but they are fanatics, so maybe. 
really interesting. I think he brings something different to the to the table, uh, which is just you know keeping a unit around. So just making sure that it's going to have great morale, great defensive capabilities, which is something that the Lannisters already sort of do, right? They're you know they're getting most of their damage in through morale tests, uh, and this just gives you another tool outside of a guard captain, which requires you to kill your own guy. And then the other King's Guard that uh, we could consider. Uh, maybe as a talking about the synergies here with Joffrey is Boros Blunt, Blount. How do you say that? I go Blunt, but I don't okay. know. Boros, <laughs> Boros Blunt or Blount? Uh, for someone out there can probably correct us. Actually, it's said. Um, but uh, Vengeance of the Crown. So while you control the Crown Tactic Zone, each time this unit is attacked with melee, after the attack has been completed, the attacker suffers D three wounds. So that's nice for pushing out damage. And you're noticing another, again, it's giving you a, ben- a benefit for controlling the crown space. So it seems almost like if you're going to take Joffrey as the NCU version, it's because you're planning on utilizing uh, the combat attachment versions of the Kingsguard. Right, because on his own, it, it seems like ugh, four points is a pretty big drawback. <laughs> but if you've got a bunch of units led with these sorts of characters, like that's pretty beastly. And D3 wounds, I mean, again, that's a massive thing uh, against, uh, you know, any like wolves or giants yeah. or, you know, single units like the uh, mountain that rides like uh, or heavy cavalry. You know, that that is a very powerful ability because it doesn't even really have any requirement other than you've been attacked. So you suffer D3 wounds. Yeah, it's amazing. And you get, I mean, like, I, I, man, okay. So I wonder you throw him in there on some uh, Lannister guardsmen. You could, if you're worried about not making your panic test, maybe you take the high sparrow or something that'll allow you to boost your, your morale when you need it. When that unit gets surrounded and you're just doing, you know, they get attacked surrounded by three unit of free folk. You're doing D3 wounds to each of those units. In addition to the panic uh, Lannister supremacy, like that's, that's great. Yeah. It's it's definitely interesting, and it seems like it's playing into that again, uh, that ability to have like you know sort of that defensive shell uh, style of play. So it's it's really exciting to see these no, new units out on the horizon because it's going to really open up your list building. And uh, to that end, maybe we'll talk through the FAQ and then talk about the new game modes that are available in Fire and Blood, which I think also might open up some new list building options. Yeah. So dropping today, right? The new FAQ. So the new FAQ uh, came out today and it had, I mean, as far as I could tell, one massive piece of news, which is uh, related to our beloved Barris. R.I.P. Spider. <laughs> oh, boy. R.I.P. his usefulness. No. What? Oh, is it going that far? <laughs> no, no. See, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I didn't feel like he was necessarily way overpowered. I thought he was powerful, but not necessarily game-breakingly so. But... Um, but, but so his, the, so the Varys' yeah, ability, <laughs> right? Well, let's just uh-huh. recap in case we have a new viewer who's just listening and, and hasn't had a chance to play with the spider. So his ability, Little Birds. Varys begins the game with four order tokens on him. When an enemy NCU claims a zone on the tactics board, you may expend one order token on Varys and roll a die. On a three plus, choose one of the following. That NCU loses all abilities until the end of the round or cancel the effect of the claim zone. And previously, before that, it, uh, below that, it read, this may re- be repeated if unsuccessful. Now that is stricken out. 
And that's a massive change. So before, uh, you know, it was sort of a, I'll, I'll try it. You know, you, you had those moments where you're like, okay, this is a pretty bad, you know, effect that my opponent's going to be doing. I'm going to try to cancel it. And you knew yeah, but that see, if you, you know, if you failed, you could try it up to four times. So like if there was like an early game maneuver that was just going to completely screw you over for the rest of the game, you had a almost guaranteed shot unless you rolled horribly four times in a row that you were going to cancel that effect. I mean, but there was that sort of tension where, you know, do I go all in on this test right now when there might be something down the road? Uh, is it that important? So I thought it still had like a pretty reasonable drawback in the standard version, but now it's, you know, you only get to use them four times. So it feels like, yeah. I mean, when are you going to not use them? I mean, it's going to be rounds three through six, right? Three, three, four, five, six. Uh, skip take the first two turns off and then start canceling because otherwise when like when it, you'll you'll not have a chance to do it the thing is you know I, I think this actually makes more tension because like that first big play you could basically guarantee to stop it like you could just guarantee and shut it down because you could roll you know th- four times uh if you if you failed that many times and sure you burned all your tokens out but you like completely nullify now every single choice every time you go to use him there is that chance. There's a little bit of tension, like, oh, is this going to work or not? I think it maybe makes him a little less safe. And I feel like maybe with the rerolls, that 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 safeness, I don't know if that was the best for fun in the game. I, I could see that. I mean, the only thing is, like, the Lannisters have their own sort of counters built in as well that are just as high percentage. You know, counterplot is 100%. <laughs> it's yeah. like, if you have that card, you're canceling the tactics card, period. Including that- cards that say you can't play tactics cards. Those also right. get canceled by counterplot. So I don't think that like Varus was overly abusive in his previous incarnation. I mean, like, and then what is, um, I'm trying to remember, uh, Tyrion? Oh, Tyrion, yeah. Yeah. So, he, you know, he's a pretty good, you know, another control option. And then so the Lannisters have access to all that and everybody else. The closest right. thing they had for a control side of things was Varus. And now, you know, no. <laughs> But but at the same time, like right, every he had. But at the same time, right, uh, the Lannisters had access to all these counterplots and Varys. And yes. you know, I heard yeah. a lot of people online saying how this might change up their lists because they were building thirty-six point lists for all their games and then just putting Varys in there. Now at four points, um, he's good, but there might be other four-point units that you might prefer. I saw a discussion online about you know. Catelyn Stark versus Lord Varys and things like that. There might be a little bit more choices that you might be making now. I think Catelyn's a, a, a very good option. She always has been. Um, I think, you know, this puts her and, and Varys kind of in the same conversation. He went from sort of being, I don't want to say like a must include, but like a very, very solid choice to being like, you know, now he's just kind of okay. I, I would say he's still effective in, in terms of, you know, you got a chance to cancel four things over the course of a game, maybe, right? Are there any things that you think are going to be problematic now going forward? Like a lot of people were talking about how they would take um, take uh, Lord Varys to deal with like certain popular meta plays, dealing with like Brendan Tully outrider lists, etc., where they knew they could they had shut down certain zones or abilities when they need to. Do you think this now just is going to be problematic for people being able to stop to stop those kind of more established? Not cheese, but very, very specific and well honed lists. Uh, where now you could just, you could just take this and shut it down, but but now you got to somehow play around that. Oh, I think. Uh, I mean, so 
as he existed before, the the key thing there was like, you know, with the Brendan Tully list, you wanted to get him, you know, deployed partway through the game in a turn where you could claim a zone and pull off a charge, right? And so having right. Varus just as your sort of insurance policy was like, okay, well, when he does that, there's it's not going to work, right? I'm going to be able to cancel right. that. You know, now you have to rely on having a counterplot in, in hand to cancel, you know, if attack cards being played. Uh, you know, things like that, which is still very doable for Lannisters. Um, I think it opens up, you know, for other armies, uh, the possibility that, you know, that's going to be an effective tactic. But I don't, I don't personally find Brendan Tully to be so overwhelmingly good that it's going to completely warp the meta. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we still aren't really getting it. We don't have a ton of like data to work with in terms of like tournament results. But I think, uh, right. yeah, I think Varus was a good foil to a lot of, you know, pretty oppressive tactics. I think he was good at canceling Cersei, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those like late game uh, morale ch- tests where you're just like, you know, you have a last couple of guys left on a point and the only way they could take you out is just some, you know, baloney morale test with like five cards piled on to make you like a minus seven. You'd go, well, I'm just going to cancel the effect of the zone, you know? Uh, but now that's, that's, you know, much, much less likely to happen. You only have your one shot. You only have your one shot as Slim Shady once said. and then as far as other faq updates in version 1.3 there is now a free folk section and a lot of the stuff that we were talking about earlier or that you've probably seen on the forums uh, but one of the ones that stands out of note is the can a unit lose the insignificant ability and if they do are they worth victory points and yes insignificant is not an innate ability and can be lost or canceled by the other effects making the unit suddenly worth victory points until the ability is restored. So that's a cool little gameplay you can put into to get points off your opponent if you're playing against a free folk unit. And then on the bottom... That was the the long-awaited free folk nerf. I think everyone's been clamoring for them to be shut down and (laughs) finally... (laughs) That that insignificant, though, that's maybe their best ability as a faction. It's not not their swarmingness. It's that, like, when they die, it, it doesn't really matter. Right, that's true. Uh, and then uh, the 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 mighty swing on the giant. There's a lot of interactions with other abilities that block hits, etc. Well, the die it says you know when you roll, if you generate any hits, you do D3 wounds. So you roll if you hit, but then you generated a hit. Then the person would roll the block hits. At that point, you've already you've already met the first requirement, so you do your D3 wounds plus X Y Z. That was something we talked about with Michael before. Was sort of you know even if you do have something that blocks like automatically blocks hits and a giant only hits you with one dice, it still goes through. Cause as long as you generated the hit, that's all that matters. And the wounds are coming in. Absolutely. Uh, so other than that, you know, make sure you check out the FAQ. I think it's always good as a student of the game to always be on top of those reading through them, but not a lot of major changes, but along Just with my, the my FAQ, beloved viruses is, you know, <laughs> still good slightly less good with the faq this time we also got our new game mode so this this is a really cool one too i'm i'm excited to to get to test this one out more so this it's one's my called favorite. fire and blood um so in this game mode uh, essentially what you're trying to do is destroy your opponent's units so actually fight them not hold points in the ground actually fight and kill marked units to get points so it's 18-inch deployment on either side and typical terrain deployment. But once you have units deployed, 
Beginning with the first player, each player will alternate selecting two of their opponent's deployed combat units, and he's going to place one objective token on each of them. These tokens represent marked units. So each time a friendly marked unit destroys an enemy with an attack or ability, you gain plus one additional victory point. So as these marked units, if I mark your units, you mark mine. As my marked units kill stuff, I get points. As your marked units kill stuff, they get points. If you kill one of those marked units, you get plus two victory points. So that's a total. You get the four one point on the for the standard victory through combat yep. plus an additional two for the marked unit. And finally, there's a special rule: when your commander's unit activates, you get to pick one enemy combat unit within long range and place one victory point token on that unit. And when you kill a unit, obviously you get all the victory point tokens that are on them. That's pretty huge. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a good scenario for, you know, you want to have a, a commander that's actually on the battlefield to take advantage of that, you know, oh, uh, absolutely. that ability. Six uh, additional, <laughs> six additional tokens. Potentially, yeah. I mean, because you're starting at 18 inches from the, the board edge. I mean, obviously you can be all the way back, but I mean, you could be within long range turn two, turn one, really, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty, uh, interesting game mode. I think it's going to be super fun. I, I love to see a, a really combat focused, uh, game mode where, you know, you really have to just kind of get out there and do some damage instead of hold points, which is kind of different. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm super intrigued. I mean, this is what I'm assuming that this is what we're going to play next, right? Chase, we're going to absolutely this one. And, uh, there were some people speculating about things. It's really important to note for the commander when the commander's unit activates, that's when you put a token out at long range. And things like Cunning Ploy from Tyrion Lannister Halfman, when a friendly combat unit activates, instead of this unit performing an action, one previously activated combat unit may perform an action. That new unit is performing an action. It's not another activation. So you can't use your cards to cheese it and put a bunch of new tokens out there. I saw some people speculating out there. Uh, That's gotcha. not how that rule interaction works. But I, you know, what I'm really wondering is how does this, sorry to be like, as we're talking about something, giving out like a, here's the rules and it doesn't do this. It's but, a corner uh, case that will not come up. I just saw someone <laughs> talking right before we made the podcast. I <laughs> um, I, I'm wondering, free folk on this, I'm wondering how they're going to play that special rules ability where the commander puts out points. That's really key. And, and uh, a smart opponent could start throwing tokens down on your free folk units that melt like butter. And uh, you got to play really carefully with this. But your 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 units are naturally worth no points. That's true. So uh, I think this is the free folk. I mean, if you notice the picture that they use for this one, yes, <laughs> is is the free folk. I think they're telling you something. They're like, hey guys, if you're struggling with your free folk, here's a mode just for you. It's all killing all the time. Think about the different styles of play you could have on this too, because you could build a, a list around uh, Tully Sworn Shields and Bowman. And you're going to sit in a corner area and try and weather the storm and, and hold the defensive position. Or you could, um, like, you know, you, you have to kill your opponent to get the points. But at the same time, you can, you can afford to be a little bit more cautious in your movement and positioning. It's going to be a really strategic game. Well, I love, I love those long, gigantic deployment zones because you can really get creative in there. You can fit so many trays. Like, and as you alternate, you could stack up one side uh, you know, you can put them, you know, kind of more spread out. You can make a little like diamond formation, you know, whatever you think of. 
uh, it, it really gives you a lot more flexibility than that sort of like short range deployment where you're kind of stuck just like deploying everybody in a straight line across the back. You know, th you can get kind of creative with it. Now, one thing I am a little interested in here is that one of my early lists, like the first list I had success with was a three NCU list using the High Sparrow as Lannisters. Um, Dance with Dragons, one of my favorite game modes, very balanced, awesome to play on. Now this one, Fire and Blood, both of those are pushing a commander on the battlefield style of play. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is that going to skew the meta away from triple NCU? I would think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense that you'd want, you know, you'd want a commander out there. I mean, what you could do though, to try to shut that down is, you know, you mark their commander and then you're doing two things by taking that unit out. You're getting the bonus points and you are also taking away their ability to assign victory points to your other units. Yeah. So that would mean that potentially at least, you know, maybe your commander isn't as likely to be engaged in combat. You might want to keep them further away. So then you're right. also not assigning points. And yet you still want to keep them within long range of the opponent so you can throw out your tokens, right? You can't yeah. hide your commander in a corner. They've really done a great job balancing this one out already, I can yeah. tell. But long range is, you know, that. so maybe like, you know, it like Tyrion and a unit of crossbowmen would be awesome, yeah. you know, because then he's just, you know, plinking away, assigning yeah. points, but trying to stay out of danger at all times. Uh, you know, that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm excited. This, this I think, is going to be pushing the game in the right direction. And it makes me wonder for tournaments where you have a two-list format, Am I bringing uh, a heavy NCU list and a commander on the board list? And I'm planning for Dance with Dragons and that to use that one list? Or am I just saying, you know what? I'm just going commander on the field and I'll make a like anti Night's Watch and an anti, you know, Stark list and, and go that way. Yeah. I mean, I think options. that there's based on the way, like how disparate the different strategies are depending on game mode, I do feel that, you know, if there were to be a tournament, it'd be a good idea to allow for two lists, like you said, and have like, you know, because some of them are like really advantageous to not have a commander on the battlefield. Some of them are really advantageous to have a commander on the battlefield. Right. Um, and so you can kind of build around that. So that would be interesting. I mean, I, I come from like a we've heard some background people... where it's just like, you know, it's just all, oh, there's only one game mode. It's just deathmatch, right? right? Like, you know, right. you're not playing a scenario. So this is kind of a, a new area for me, but I know in, in War Machine, uh, or Legion, they actually have um, you know multiple different game modes. How does it work there? Do you, do you bring multiple lists, or you kind of just take what you take? War Machine, you'd always bring a two list format, um, but for Legion, you bring a singular list, and you just you you know you can bid points and try and stack the deck to try and hopefully get the scenarios you want. That's um, right. Yeah, yeah. Because you have that sort of uh, that that um, you know auction at the beginning, right? Where right. you can kind of select and eliminate uh, potential bad deployments or bad scenarios for yourself and you know captain was a two-point list and our captain con was a two-point list system and uh, i know greg young from rebel lightworks and carl from peacekeeper games been running some tournaments they've had some i think i don't know if these are official variants um, where they put like a cap on the number of points you can score in a game so that i guess some people would take a list that they know is going to do well in one scenario and try and get like 22 points on that one scenario yeah. and then just like get by on the other ones and you know, when they tally up all the points at the end of the game, they're like, well, this guy's got 50 points. So uh, I guess he wins the tournament. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I wonder, hmm. I mean, I feel like I think the two list uh, setup is, is reasonable. You know what I mean? You do have to bring more stuff to the event, obviously. Um, and then, 
you know, maybe that's a little bit more prohibitive from a cost perspective for certain people. I'm assuming if you're playing a miniatures game that, you know, you probably have enough to like have some flexibility, but. Well, right um, out of the box though, you buy a starter set, you can play two commanders. That's, that's two pretty disparate, disparate lists, uh, des- uh, two very different lists right there. That's true. That's true. I, I, I wonder. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think that's probably the best approach because they, the game modes are so different or if they wanted to go to a system where, um, you know, you are, with your opponent, maybe some kind of system to select your game mode, you know? Right. Um, I don't know how that would work. Uh, I mean, cause like the table is basically empty and you can reset for anything, but like, you know, would you have, okay, round one is going to be one of these two scenarios. Round two will be one of these two. And then, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe like, you know, your opponent, you, you can like take it one advantage, but give your opponent the, uh, you know, the uh, scenario selection. And then this way you only have to bring one list. Yeah. Maybe that would something like that would kind of work. I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. We're gonna have to experiment with this. If you're running tournaments out there and you're having success or running into problems, uh, let us know what you're doing. Shoot us an email at on the table gaming at gmail.com. And uh, I'm looking forward to as this game picks up more because it is exploding right now that we'll get more feedback on how these tournaments are being run and uh, what's, what's the best format people are finding. Definitely. And I think, you know, the tournaments, especially, I, I think the, you know, the key thing is obviously, you know, the most important thing is just having a good time and just getting like people together to play. You know, I think that's one of the most fun things about tournaments is like not even necessarily like, you know, crazy prizes or competitiveness, but it's just like, you know, getting to play people you don't normally get to play at against. And, and that's something that's always a lot of fun. And I'm excited. I actually want to start looking into some 2v2 modes because I've got some people picking it up at my local gaming store. And uh, it stinks sometimes when you see a bunch of people wanting to play, but I don't have enough hands or can't be around to help with that. And it might just be easier to say, Hey, let's just all play one big game together. <laughs> I mean, that'd be awesome. So two V two, are you playing uh, with two allied sides? That's what I would think is have, you know, two. Cause at this point, basically I've got one person who has a starter set and then I've got a starter set, you know, free folk night watch, et cetera. So I was thinking, Oh, maybe we bring up, you know, and they do night's watch and Stark or something versus Lannister free folk or something uh-huh. to that effect. That'd be cool. Or you could do, um, well, you could do like the Battle of the Bastards, sort of, right? You could do like Night's Watch mixed with Free Folk against Lannisters and Starks. I mean, I know the Lannisters weren't there. Car Starks, Car Starks. Well, yeah, I guess you're right, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You know, whatever. They're allied, so it could happen. Yeah. Interesting. Idea, Chase. Something I was thinking about. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, the moment we've all been waiting for, let's talk about the Free Folk. I feel like I want like a bumper that's like, let's talk about the free folk. (laughs) Something I can chew up. (laughs) You should definitely record that. Sweet. All right. So let's start with talking about some of the free folk units here. Um, Now, the the bread and butter, the the heart of the free folk army, we've got the free folk raiders. And uh, these guys, I have just learned to love. Um, So movement speed of five. The free folk raiders are are not the zippiest, but... uh, They've got crude weapons. And when, you, when I was painting them, I'm like realizing like the weapons in their hands aren't even like metal weapons, they're bone. And so they hit on a four plus six, five, three, five plus armor, eight plus morale. Ooh, that even just hurts to read. Um, but their ability gang up, this unit's melee attacks gain plus one to hit when they attack an enemy engaged with another friendly unit. So they get to stack their damage on their opponent and they are insignificant, meaning this unit is not worth victory points from victory through combat. You got to take these guys in pairs. They're three points. And these guys, what, what else can you say? I mean, this is like 
the sort of the defining you know identity for the free folk army is that you're going to have a, a crap load of guys <laughs> you know you're going to have for every one unit your opponent has you're gonna have two of these um I, and yeah they're not gonna really you know they're not great on paper right from like a pure stats perspective like yeah they're worse than everything else but you get two you get two and sometimes it takes two uh because <laughs> they don't do a lot on their own I've had a few games now with them and I have had so much fun. You just start deploying and then you keep deploying and you keep deploying. And, you know, I had a few where I'm advancing down the battlefield literally as like a, a wall of troops. Um, and it can be hard sometimes to get your troops engaged on the opponent, right? Cause you're like, Oh, they've got a unit over there going for that objective. Well, I'm sending a unit myself. And you forget <laughs> that their unit is a six point unit and yours is a three point unit and they can get walloped if you don't got the proper support. Uh, but fortunately, usually have enough stuff that they're not off by themselves. So I think the Raiders are sort of like, you know, you really have to commit to your game plan and know exactly what you're going for, who you're going to be, you know, just basically they're like a, you know, like a pit bull. You just want to have them latch on to something and just keep just stay on it until it's dead or Absolutely. or just waste enough of its time that it hasn't done anything all game. You know, what exactly. I mean? And I've been really finding out like, you know, basically sometimes I just think of it as it's three points that I can throw at my opponent. And if I get, you know, two of these units engaged, that enemy can't retreat. And I just want to hold something there with six points and either walk up with a giant and flatten it or go off and fight elsewhere and, and make that opponent be there for a little bit doing nothing. I mean, if these guys get like, if you get two units on a unit of flayed men and you're just like, you know, hey, we're just going to, yeah, we're going to be getting uh, massacred, but, you know, we're spending less points than you are to keep this unit completely out of combat. Yeah. And I'm really excited to try out like Fire and Blood because I think they're just going to be great for screening. And uh, the only disclaimer for those of you that are listening and are like, oh, these guys must have played a lot of Free Folk. Um, to be completely honest, I have not played Free Folk against any serious ranged opponents yet. Um, besides, that'll like, change, the, Chase. That'll change. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I am worried about um, Free Folk dealing with basically getting shot in combat. Like, you know, you've got your guardsmen, you're firing your crossbowmen into the free folk while they're tying them up or Stark bowmen. Um, so that is a big blind set I have. But I think, you know, on so far without that, you know, <laughs> without having to deal with ranged combat, I've been doing an awesome job screening my other units, cutting off charge lanes, getting in the way. So we'll see if I can maintain that in the face of uh, some ranged firepower. I think uh, bowmen are going to just eat these guys up but that, yeah. that's like the perfect opportunity to like just light up a unit uh you know with 10 shots now if you're you know if you don't have a Cranickman warden you know you're gonna hit like five of them but then you know you'll probably kill got two dice them. over eight i don't think that's happening uh, I, you could do a lot of damage to a, a free folk raider unit with bowman i think these guys definitely i mean the thing is you could do a lot of damage to them with just about anybody really I mean, that, but that's what <laughs> that's, true. Right? that's what they're there for is just yeah. you know they're not supposed to be this elite unit they're supposed to be just like whatever scrubs they could find to just like pick up some you know rocks and and go to war i mean these guys are supposed to be kind of bad but then that's you know what they make up for is just the fact that there's so many of them and I think the the thing that's kind of lost on people is how much of a difference it makes when you're way out activating somebody, because there's like no surprises oh when, you know, I've done activating my entire army and you still got half your army to go. I mean, that's like a gigantic advantage. 
and maybe or maybe we're jumping ahead here, but maybe we'll work them all in. Uh, we did want to talk about attachments. I mean, that's the the trade off here with the raid leader attachment. Uh, the raid leader is a one point attachment that has an order combined assault. When this unit activates, target one friendly unactivated unit within long range. It activates immediately after this unit. Any attacks it makes can only target enemies this unit attack this turn. So you can use the raid leader to basically chain together attacks, right? So I, I activate charge in, activate my raid leader, my unit next to me charges in, and we get a two units charging on the same series. Well, and this this and helps you set up your gang up ability, right? And, yeah. And so you know you kind of take you know if you're taking raiders in pairs, you take a raid leader every other unit. And then when they charge, you're always charging with two at once, you know, or you don't have to always charge with two right. at once, but you can. But um, that's the same thing as if I have extra activations at the end of my turn, when you're done, it's almost as if every one of my units has raid leaders, like, because I can just move everything one after another after another. And this is really probably most beneficial when you are using a unit of free folk raiders that's, that really is leaning into that, like, waste time sort of effect where I want to make sure I get two units on your unit of flayed men so that I know that it can't get out of there right away, you know, because if it just, you know, if you have a free for one unit of free folk raiders, it charges in and then the you know, flayed men kill them. Yeah. <laughs> then they can, that's true. then they can move around. So that's just one thing that's like, it gives you that, that sort of extra one, two punch and really make sure you're, you're diving in on all of your tactics cards and effects that rely on having multiple units engaged. And then I know you're a big fan of the Free Folk Trappers. What do you think about them? I'm not a big fan of the Free Trappers. I oh, mean, sorry. That's, I, yeah, sorry. That I was supposed to be massive, facetious. But. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think they're awesome. Uh, I think they're like, you know, if you're going to put your commander somewhere, they're the, they're the go-to. Uh, so, I mean, reading through the abilities, the, uh, they have a speed of six. So they're, you know, up there with the fastest units in the game, at least, you know, infantry. Uh, they have a wildling bow, which hits on a four plus. It goes from six to five to three in melee. Uh, they have the tracker trapper's blade, which is a five plus six, five, three. So not great in close combat. Uh, they have a six plus invulnerable armor save. Uh, they have an eight plus morale. And then I think really the defining characteristic here is their order hidden traps. Uh, which is when an unengaged enemy within long range moves, that enemy suffers D3 wounds and triggers a disorderly charge on rolls of two or less this turn. It's a trap. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, wrong game. And <laughs> they have a wildling bow, which is short range. Uh, and then uh, they're also insignificant. And they're four points. So, so just one point more uh, than, than the Raiders. So if you haven't checked out a Song of Ice and Fire CC.com, there's a great list that Josh put together called the Wham List 2.0. <laughs> and uh, my favorite counter to the Wham List 2.0 is a unit of free folk trappers <laughs> because. I know, I know you love putting <laughs> wolves. You love running those. They give you the extra activations and you use them so well with the maneuver. But being able to put out a D3, D3 wounds on any wolf that moves once they're within long range. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where you're just like, son of a gun. Like it's like it's the full-on silver bullet, you know, for the wolf. It's just like, okay, well, as soon as this wolf moves within this like bubble of death, they're just screwed. And people uh, may have heard us joking about it last episode, but man, when uh, Daenerys comes out and maybe she's got some dragon monsters or something, I'm looking forward to them getting shot down by hidden traps because the, the wildling bows can't reach them, but the traps will take them down. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're, um, 
they're really solid the trappers and i mean those those uh wounds you know remember d3 wounds I, you know if it's an infantry unit d3 wounds is really not that much right if it's like right okay my sworn swords oh my god i lost between one and three guys it's no big deal you know one and three wounds on the mountain or a cavalry unit or uh wolf or you know something like that or you know any of that stuff that has wounds you know i think did i say giant giant's a big one. Oh uh, god yeah that is a massive massive advantage so uh i think these guys are, are pretty sweet and and also don't forget that disorderly charge trigger is also very useful so if you stick your commander in with these guys much easier to protect and for attachments on this uh one of the one of the nice ones is the spearwife matriarch for one point who has the order swift retreat after this unit is attacked with melee this unit may immediately make a free retreat action so you stand there you shoot at people they get hit by traps they charge you you back up next round you start all over again exactly so it it, it does lend itself really well i think that you know you want to be careful not to throw too many attachments in, but that one does fit really well with what these guys are trying to do, which is, you know, they want to be at like short range shooting with their bow and having you walk through their traps. They really don't want to be in melee. And that's one of the things I've sort of noticed is that the attachments are so key for the free folk. And uh, I've really kind of struggled with my list building with trappers because I feel like what ends up happening is like, there's a temptation to make them like this awesome, like dodging, running around unit. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you just got to, play smarter and like just don't let them get charged and use those points elsewhere i mean you could always use your activation to retreat you know right um so obviously you know it's not quite as good but i mean one point for most armies is not that big of an investment one point for free folk is a massive investment so i yeah. think that's the thing you have to like be very careful i mean that's a third that's basically a rank of right. <laughs> free you know and in the end you end up having like five points of attachments and it's like i could have my elite units then instead um like the free folk spearwives now the spearwives have movement of five and i'm a big spearwives fan at this point especially without having any cave dweller savages out um so they've got spear toss and a crude spear so both of these attacks one's ranged short range for the spear toss um, both these attacks hit on a four plus at seven, seven, three, and they've got armor of five plus morale seven plus. Now what's awesome about the Spearwives and, uh, I think maybe is their best ability, uh, besides the sundering off of a charge with crude spear, the seven, seven attack profile. I've just started to really realize how awesome it is to have a non-decaying attack value. And so you maybe heard me being like super excited about the Lannister Kingsguard, like having eight and eight and never going down. That's probably a carryover from me just liking the Spearwives so much because everything gets dinged up in the Free Folk. And you're very rarely are my units at full strength unless it's like the initial charge. And having like one rank down still hitting at sevens is huge. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, that's one thing you'll actually notice about a lot of the Free Folk, um, you know, units is that most of them, you know, they don't take a massive hit on combat effectiveness when they go down to their second rank like the raiders only lose one dice same thing with the trappers. trappers you know the savages yeah they go down by two so they're not quite as good but for the most part they do i mean but the spearwives you know they they don't lose any combat effectiveness at two ranks obviously when they're the last rank you know then they're in trouble because they got three yeah. dice. <laughs> at <laughs> then, that point then, i don't know face. what you're doing with those sad guys <laughs> just running away and the other thing is these guys are not insignificant which is significant which <laughs> This is one of the only units that's worth points. So it's it's hard. Like, you know, I think it's great to have 
a unit like this in your army to be able to throw out some damage and get like you know sundering is massive um you know if you're fighting you know uh guardsmen or anything with like heavy armor or like the king's guard that we you know previewed before you know having the ability to take take some you know uh something away from their armor saves is huge absolutely Uh, and i've been having a lot of fun with these and when we talk about our tactics cards and we give some sample lists out next week man have i got some stories to tell about spear wives that sounds weird when I say that for some reason. <laughs> Man, that's, I that's played a, a game with them and rolled dice. <laughs> like, what? Well, you won't believe the life I'm living, man. <laughs> I've seen some stuff. <laughs> but but stay tuned is what I'm saying. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, right. How about Giants? Are you a big, big fan of Giants? I am a big, I am a huge fan of Giants. I'm a giant fan of Giants. Oh, there we go. Hey. That was a softball pitch. Come on. I, was... Sorry, it took me a second to register. Sure, what you were doing there, but what, you know you took a swing it was a mighty swing but have, oh my god all right so savage, savage giant savage. seven point seven point monster unit so it's uh, on its own tray it's got a movement of five it's got the mighty swing two plus one dice i'll tell you why that doesn't matter in a second armor save of four plus morale of three plus so these guys are also basically you know not too worried about morale so this model has five wounds. However, it only suffers one wound for every two unblocked hits or any attack or effect. So you discard the remainder. So if you were to do three unblocked hits to a giant, it only takes one wound. So you, you know what I mean? It, it, you, losing that extra hit, like how many times you've had like odd damage dealt to a giant and you're just like, damn it. You know, you do like one hit to it and it's like, well, that doesn't do anything at all. So you really have to like <laughs> land in, in twos. Uh, but the other thing it has is the uh, Mighty Swing ability, which is if this attack generates any hits, which is what we talked about before, if it if it rolls a two or better, period, and generates a hit, instead of rolling defense dice, the defender suffers D3 plus one wounds plus one additional wound for each wound on this model. So at the absolute sort of best case scenario, if this guy's got four wounds on him, it's going to deal D3 plus five wounds. So yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, eight Black. wounds, period, is just uh, pretty nasty. Oh, man, they're so much fun. But they definitely are a support unit. That, that's what I can say. After playing a ton of games with them, there was a few games where I tried to, like, I, I think I mentioned this before at Captain Gone, but still scarred for life. We set up my like, perfect, like, concave. I used the giant as bait sort of thing, and I'm like, they're going to run in, and then they're going to crush everything. And they just charged it and killed my giant and uh, <laughs> nothing, everything else charged and nothing died. And I was like, well, everything hit him. Got to do it the other way. You got to screen and then the giants come in and kill stuff. I know they've got a lot of wounds. They're resilient, but they still don't like getting hit. I mean, that's the thing. If you gang up on them, the giants will definitely start taking damage pretty quickly. Um, you know, the four plus armor save is not spectacular. It's decent, you know. Uh, and the wounds ability definitely helps because you're discarding those odd wounds, which is also useful. Um, but yeah, I mean, these guys are, I, I think they're really necessary in the current version of the free folk, you know, given what's out at the moment, I think it's really good to have, um, extra, you know, like combat effectiveness to knock out heavily armored targets. And there's so much fun. My only gripe is that his artwork on the card, he's got like the anti cup on. I feel like the way you'd want to kill him is like drop something in front of him and he bends down to pick it up. Are you looking at the card? <laughs> he's, got, yeah. he's got two giant tusks going like, <laughs> at his groin. You can't bend over a maneuver with that. You're going to stab yourself, man. Oh, he's pointing oh. right at his femoral artery. <laughs> terrible choice. So, you know, watch out. 
Watch out for the tusk, the groin tusk. <laughs> the groin, groin tusks. Sorry. Yeah, and then and then that brings us to the the last guys, the the cave dwellers, also savages. Not just regular cave dwellers. These are cave dweller savages. There might be like a cave a cave dweller sophisticate that comes out sophisticated later. Sophisticated cave dweller. It's like a monocle and like a. I just want this card art, but with a monocle and a hat. Uh, so, all right, these guys are crazy. <laughs> indubitably, yes. Mm. A smooth breeze on through the caves. Um, we've talked about the cave dweller savages on the podcast before. But these guys are amazing. They have a movement speed of six. On a four plus, they hit with their crude weapons. Seven, five, four. Six plus invulnerable armor save. Four plus morale. And they have this ability, Ruthless Savagery. Deep breath. <gasps> Each time this unit attacks, it may select one of the following bonuses. This attack gains plus one to hit for each of your defender's destroyed ranks. Or this attack gains Sundering or this attack gains vicious for each of the defenders destroyed ranks it may select one additional bonus hell yeah you get one by default right so probably yep. probably sundering but you know not always and then you get plus one of more effect for each other destroyed rank so these guys i think we've mentioned it before but they are like the ultimate cleanup guys like if they come in and just like hit a unit that's down to its last rank I mean, now you're talking plus one to hit, sundering, and vicious. Pretty, cave pretty gross. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that's super, super cool to like, you know, th that they have that sort of ability. And you can really choose whichever mode works best for you. I mean, if you're only picking one, uh, you know, maybe if you're going for a high armor target, you're going to go for sundering. Or maybe if you're going for like a low armor, low morale target, like maybe like crossbowmen. You go for vicious, you know, you, you're going to be able to choose whichever works best for the situation. I, I love their flexibility. And this might be a unit that would benefit from the spear wife matriarch as well. Being able to, you know, get a free disengage from combat when you get hit. So you don't take too much damage. Uh, and when we go into tactics cards, there are some ways that you can heal your units. You'd probably want to dumping a lot of healing into these guys. Uh, these guys also, I mean, the, the armor save is obviously really bad, but the morale is really good. Uh, so that's one thing is like, you know, you got to remember that a lot of damage comes from uh, both of those things combined. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, when you're when you're only taking damage in the combat phase and not through morale tests, you know, that's basically cutting out half the damage a unit is you know like, likely to take. Uh, and it also shuts off a lot of abilities like, you know, for example, you know, Lannister abilities, you know, if you're really attacking the morale. You know, this is a unit that you're going to probably skip over most of the time just because it's going to be so hard to push morale damage in. And then uh, before we move on to NCUs then, having gone through all of the Free Folk units, um, there is an attachment that we haven't talked about. And that would be Tormund Giantsbane, Tall Talker, Hornblower, Breaker of Ice. And uh, he's a two-point attachment. So it's, it's actually kind of expensive for Free Folk standards. And he's got Furious Charge. Enemies this unit successfully charge become vulnerable. And Shattering Assault, this unit's charge attacks gain Sundering. Defenders suffer negative one to their defense save rolls. So he is really doubling down on smashing through armor here. Uh, now the question is, where the heck do you put him? Right, and that's one of the frustrating things is because Sundering is already had by the Spearwives. And so I've been messing around a lot, even with my commander, which I'll talk about some of my trials and tribulations next week, by putting him in raider units. But the problem is it gives me another source of sundering, but that unit just melts. And any game mode where you can get points off of the commander like that, that's not so great. 
mean, so in this case, he's not the commander at least, but right. I don't know. I mean, you thought you could throw him in with Cape Dollar Savages, which then they're a seven point unit, which is crazy. But <laughs> you know, then you have Sundering no matter what on your charges, so you can focus on the plus one to hit. Now you're getting, you know, now you're basically almost like a berserker unit. You're like a worse berserker unit, but you're like a berserker unit. Yeah, so I don't know. He's a great unit, and I think he'll definitely have a place. Just currently, it's kind of not the best field for him to be being thrown in at two points. I think, yeah, I think the hard thing for free folk generally is just like those type of unit attachments are just going to be a tough sell. Um, you know, just because part of the faction identity is keep things cheap. And right. I've always felt that the a lot of the attachments tend to be slightly overcosted just because, you know, one point in this game is actually a pretty significant amount. And right. so, you know, the ones that are like three points, in a, you know, are, are usually not doing as much as like a unit might. Uh, so generally I run light on them, but the raid leaders I think are good enough here that you have. And since you have so many extra points to play with, uh, I think that's a pretty good fit, but I don't know about some of these other ones uh, until we see more stuff come out. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the NCUs. Then we've got three NCUs, all of them pretty amazing. And uh, why don't you start us off with Craster here, being the uh, the Night's Watch player sometimes that you are. <laughs> sure. So Craster is a three-point ally of convenience. Uh, he has refuge and supplies. When Craster claims a zone on the tactics board, you may replace its effect with draw one tactics card and restore up to two wounds to one friendly combat unit. Pretty good. That's amazing. And the Cave yeah. Dweller Sophisticate would say it's a refuge. And <laughs> but uh, when Craster claims that zone, that's it's great having that choice, right? Being able to be like, yeah, you know what I really need is some wounds on my giant right now. Sorry, some healed wounds on my giant right now. And uh, extra and tactics, tactics cards. Card. Yeah, the help. tactics card is huge because don't forget, like the tactics cards for you know free folk, you have like the redeploy, you have all that yeah. you know, really awesome gang up mechanic stuff. Uh, you know, having more options is, is perfect. And then, you know, this is just one of those things. I think those replacement effects generally are very good because, you know, you might have something on the, on the tactics board that's just not that useful to you right now. Right. And you're like, all right, well, I've got this like one spot open and it's, I don't know, you know, the crown zone. It's like, I'm not going to force, you know, much of a right. morale press on anybody. You know what I'd really like right now, like you said, I'd like my, you know, giant back up to full health and I'd like another tactics card, please. <laughs> it can do. Uh, which is, <laughs> I think, why right now I'm really leaning towards Lady Val, the next NCU. So Lady Val, the Wildling Princess, when she claims a zone on the tactics board, you may replace its effect with the effect of maneuver instead. And this is so cool because I can get two maneuvers then. Oh, sorry. If I have multiple NCUs, I could take the maneuver zone and then use her to get another maneuver zone. Or um, in a lot of games in tournament I would play, I was finding that I, I really needed to block a zone. And I could block a zone that wasn't useful to me, but then at least get something good out of it. And I think the the key thing right now, especially like, you know, even though, you know, a lot of the free folk units have decent speed, you know, they're like at five or six, they don't have any cavalry. And, right. you know, it's tough not to get out positioned. You know, they do have that one tactics card that gives you a free maneuver. Swift advance, yeah. Uh, which is huge, right? Um, but this gives you another ability to get more maneuvers, which I think is the one thing that maybe the free folk are going to struggle with is like getting to objectives late and then trying to dis dislodge somebody with, <laughs> with crummier yeah. units, you know? Uh, this is going to allow you to move up faster. And, and maneuver zone is like, I think super underrated in this game. 
because that's how you can get I, to the side, get the, you know, the flank charges and all that good stuff. I'm just, yeah, I'm scared about some units that I don't typically face, like the House Tully Sworn Shields. Like they get on a on a unit, speaking about like having a hard time dislodging units, like thank God units like that are so slow at speed four. Because a yeah. three plus armor save and then blocking D3 hits, like if I can't, I don't know how I can take you out. And the maneuver zone here with Lady Val becomes so huge because like I need to be getting in the flank. Like if I can't get to the side or ideally behind you, there's just no way. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, now now you're you know really got a lot more gas in the tank to to you know speed things up and get where you need to go. Exactly. And then finally, Mance Raider, artful tactician. What do you think of him coming in at four points? I mean, I think he's pretty solid. So he's got a skillful preparation. So influence. Uh, so you attach him to a, a combat unit. Uh, when Mance influences a unit, they gain one condition token of your choice. While influencing a unit, that unit suffers penalties based on the number of condition tokens on them. So obviously you're putting this on you know, enemy units. Uh, so if they have one or more tokens, you get minus one attack and minus one uh, speed. And this is also cumulative, by the way. So these stack up two plus excuse me, two plus tokens, you get minus one to hit on all attacks, right? And three plus tokens, unit loses all abilities. That's so if right. you have three tokens on them, you are minus one uh, attack dice, minus one speed, minus one to hit, and you have no ability. So it's like you can really shut down like a big unit with this. Guy. Yeah, and so this is where, this is a really expensive combo here, but this is where units like uh, Tormund, uh, Tall Talker, Hornblower, Breaker of Ice at two points, charging in and giving out a vulnerable token starts to make me wonder like down the line if we see other attachments that come out that give tokens is there going to be a style of play where you're basically just trying to like token like bury your opponents under tokens and then like shut them off with mance it's interesting and then i wonder like is it going to be then i mean is your strategy to take you know the tactic zone more often and, and assign more tokens because when he influences unit they put a condition token down so are you going to like draw tactics cards and layout tokens yeah. that way um you know because that's really the only ways right now besides uh Tormund that free folk have of assigning tokens right um, but you know this would shut down that tully uh d3 blocking ability this yeah. also shuts down um mighty swing on the savage giant so instead of doing D3 plus one wounds on its hit, it does a two plus one die single wound hit. <laughs> so Mance can can school some people here. I think he's gonna be he's another uh, very interesting option. I think at like you know higher points levels, I mean I think I might take him over Val just because I do think that you you know it, it plays into the strength of I'm gonna have more guys than you. Your troops are gonna be better than mine, but. I can make at least one of your units as bad as mine are. So then, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to take your best, most elite unit and I'm going to make them suck a little bit. And then now what, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, the thing is like, you know, you're putting the tokens on, they can't spend them for you. So as long as you don't spend the tokens. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that brings us through the, the basic Free Folk options. Um, next week, we are going to be talking about the Free Folk tactics cards, uh, commanders, and then giving you some sample lists. Um, and in the meantime, I hope you get your miniatures on the table.